You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 Network. You're listening to episode 316 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Emily Jaleo works as a software engineer at MongoDB, where she helps maintain the MongoDB Ruby driver and Mongoid object document mapper for Ruby on Rails. She previously spent two years as a Rails developer at Code Academy. In her spare time, she enjoys building tech for good causes, reading fantasy novels, and petting cats. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thanks so much for having me, Brittany. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me. Emily, what is your developer origin story? So... The first time I ever coded was the summer after my junior year of high school at a mechanical engineering summer camp. Uh, In case you were wondering, I was a very cool teenager. I was not great at mechanical engineering, but we did one day of coding during this camp. And I was like, oh my God, this is just like solving puzzles on a computer. And then you create things that other people can use. And so... When I came home from camp that summer, I spent the rest of the summer learning how to code. I sat down and Googled how to code, (laughs) and that led me to Codecademy, which at that point was maybe one year old, and I took their Python course. And then when I got back to school in the fall, I switched out AP Statistics for AP Computer Science, having never taken a computer science course in my life. Of course, I was the only girl in that course, um, and so I kind of worked my butt off to to be the best and to do as much of the work as I can. And every single experience I had just led me to, f- to fall more and more in love with uh, software engineering. Um, and so I did a undergraduate degree in computer science. And when I graduated, Codecademy had some job openings and I thought this is an awesome kind of full circle experience. So I took a job there And uh, that's kind of how I arrived at being a full-time software developer. That is such a great story. Now, I can just imagine Code Academy was absolutely thrilled to find someone who wanted to work there, who actually got their coding career started by using them. I often recommend them. And I think they're such a neat platform to make sure that people truly enjoy coding. Because as you know, you spend a lot of your time being wrong, and then you get that amazing thrill of being right. And so having that personality type uh, at Code Academy has been really great for finding those kind of people. Yeah, totally. And that's something we talked a lot about at Codecademy, where uh, whenever a user is wrong, we always want to tell them why, so that they can take that error message and say, okay, this is what I did, rather than, you know, banging their head against the wall for five hours. Did your time at Code Academy involve with a lot of pairing? Were you doing a lot of mentorship in order to get your leg up as a software engineer? Um, yeah, the team at Codecademy was so awesome. And I think there was a lot of both uh, me mentoring others and being mentored by others. Um, the senior engineers on the on the engineering team at Codecademy were so great, and I feel like there were times where I would come across a bug. And you know, it's a relatively small company still, and so even as a junior engineer, I had a lot of responsibility. And there were times where my manager was on vacation and a bug would come up, and I would be the one who had to fix it. Um, And there would be other engineers on the team who would step in and say, like, no, you don't have to do this alone. I'll sit here with you through your lunch break and figure this out with you. And, you know, we'll put our heads together and 
will banter about it. And in the end, you know, it was so much more enjoyable than just having to sit there by myself. Um, and so I, I'm so grateful for all of the people that I had a chance to work with at Codecademy. We're going to talk about this later uh, today in the podcast, but I agree with you that your first experience as a junior developer significantly shapes your coding career. So I'm so glad that you had such a positive one. So Emily, what is your specific experience with Ruby on Rails? Um, So I've used Ruby on Rails at a few jobs. Um, I had an internship while I was in college where I did a bit of Rails. I don't think I really understood what was going on. um, So I'm not sure how much that counts. Um, but then when I started working at Code Academy, I was primarily doing backend development and primarily using Rails or sort of uh, Rails adjacent services. Um, and so when I had the opportunity to go work at MongoDB on the Ruby driver and Rails ODM, Object Document Mapper, um, it was kind of, it was very meta because those were the tools I was using at Code Academy to implement the platform for our learners. And so I thought it would be a great kind of uh, change in abstraction level to work on the tools that I had been using as a developer. I love seeing that pattern in your career that basically you use these tools, you love them, and you look for ways for getting more involved. It's a, it's such a neat way that you've gone about your career. Yeah. I, and it's really fun to get uh, tickets from users now who are using the Ruby driver or Mongoid and to know exactly where they're coming from because I I was the developer using these tools encountering these problems and having to figure out how to fix them. So it's a it's a really nice way to cement everything that I learned at Code Academy. So I'm personally really interested in what it's like working at MongoDB. What is a typical day in the life for you? Sure. So I think the first thing you have to understand is what I work on and those are the drivers. Now, a driver is a library that allows you to connect your project to the MongoDB database. And my team implements those libraries in many different languages. So I personally work on the Ruby and Rails uh, drivers, but my teammates work on Swift, Rust, C, etc. Um, so my day-to-day is primarily coding and working on the driver, but it's also a really cool job because I have the chance to interact with people from the community by checking Stack Overflow and answering questions or getting user submitted tickets and then seeing if they've found a bug or you know if they just need some help figuring out how to use a certain feature. And so it's a really awesome combination of coding and community uh, community development that I think really suits me. Is all of your work then public facing? Yes, all the drivers are completely open source. That's amazing. I mean, that's a dream job for a lot of people to be able to work in open source full time. So how closely do you watch the Ruby and the Rails repositories in order to see what changes they're making so you know what kind of changes you have to anticipate doing whenever they release new versions? Uh, Very, very closely. And since I started at MongoDB about eight months ago, um, I haven't really had much of a chance to experience this. So that's something I'm actually really excited for. Um, But one example is uh, as they're rolling out Ruby version three, they've changed some of the syntax around uh, keyword arguments, for example. And because we test the driver on a whole range of Ruby versions, we immediately 
catch that, that stuff because it breaks things in the driver or in the libraries that we use. And so we really have to be up to date on the latest changes in Ruby and even in Rails uh, because we want to update the object document mapper to reflect the most recent patterns from the uh, frameworks that our developers are using. That makes complete sense. Now this next question is some advice and it's actually going to apply to me as well, but do you have any advice for listeners who have an interest in MongoDB and getting started with the tools that you work on? Yeah, totally. So uh, an awesome thing about MongoDB is that their documentation is really, really thorough and all available online. So if you head to docs.mongodb.com, you can get started just learning about the database and especially how it's different from a traditional uh, column and row based database. Um, If you specifically want to get started with Ruby, you can go to docs.mongodb.com slash mongoid slash current. That's the most recent version of the mongoid object document mapper, which you can think of as like uh, active record for MongoDB. And of course, there's also a big community of people using these tools. And so if you post your questions on Stack Overflow, there are tons of people, including myself, who are going to try and help you out. That's fantastic. We will make sure to link all of that in the show notes. So Emily, I was really looking forward to sitting in on your RailsConf talk, successfully onboarding a junior engineer in three steps. But I'm really thrilled to hear that you were going to be part of the RailsConf couch session, so that will be available to listeners. But here is the description of the talk. How you onboard someone to your team can have lasting effects on their professional success, growth, and happiness, but many teams treat onboarding as an afterthought. In this talk, you will learn how to successfully onboard a junior engineer in three steps with the goal of building their trust, instilling confidence in their technical abilities, and enabling them to be an autonomous contributor to your team. So first off, what are the problems that junior engineers run into? Uh, I think a better question is what problems don't they run into? (laughs) Um, And and that's kind of what I'm getting at with my talk. Um, Junior engineers are very resilient. They, you know, most of them really want to succeed at their jobs, especially at their first job, because they know it's going to set themselves, it determines how they set themselves up for the rest of their career. But there are so many things that you could think about in order to make it easier and to kind of help them on their way. Um, So I think one big problem that junior engineers run into is when the expectations for their job are not clearly set. Um, I think we've all had the experience where we show up to a job and then the next day someone's like, hey, do you know how to provision this server and something with Kubernetes? And you're like, oh my God, I don't know how to do any of that. Um, And the problem there is that nobody sat down and said, okay, this person gave us their resume. What do they already know? What should we expect them to be able to do in the first month, the second month, the third month, etc.? Um, and so not setting clear expectations for the junior engineer can be a huge problem. Um, another potential problem is not giving enough feedback. And obviously that's bad if the junior engineer Um, does something wrong and then you don't guide them in the right direction. But that can also be bad if they are doing things right and you're not telling them so. This is an experience that I had um, at Codecademy once. Um, 
about a month and a half into my job there, I took down the site and not even part of the site, like the entire site. And I spent the whole weekend frantically trying to figure out what was wrong in my code and how to fix it. And when I got back to work on Monday, I, even though I had managed to deploy a fix, I was so nervous because, you know, I had taken down the site and I spent the next couple of weeks thinking maybe they're going to fire me. Um, maybe that's like the worst thing that anyone has ever done at this company. And finally, I sat down with my manager and I, I think I was like on the verge of tears. And I asked him, like, is everything OK? Like, is it is it OK that I took down the site? And he was like, what are you talking about? We all take down the site sometimes and definitely more than we would like. The fact that you spent the whole weekend trying to fix it shows us that you actually are committed to this job. So like you actually did the right thing in this scenario. And the relief that I felt was so overwhelming. And so it's also so important to give feedback to junior engineers when they're doing things right, uh, because many people in the absence of feedback just assume that everything's going wrong, but nobody has the guts to tell them. And so you can really easily correct that misunderstanding by just you know, congratulating someone when they do something the right way. I absolutely agree with that. I, in my experience as being a junior developer, one thing that I would definitely recommend to those senior developers is make sure that when you're giving positive feedback that it's actually meaningful. It's so easy to tell a junior developer, you know, good job opening that pull request when there's really no actionable thing to it. Yeah. But, you know, providing that context and explaining why opening that pull request was done so well is incredibly important. Yes, and that's definitely something that I touch on uh, in my talk. So I do want to talk over solutions. And as you alluded to in your session recap, it sounds like there are three steps to onboarding junior engineers. So what are those? Yes. Uh, so to take a step back, um, in my talk, I identify three major goals for onboarding a junior engineer. And um, I kind of mentioned those in the talk uh, abstract that you read. The first is enabling autonomy, meaning allowing them to be a productive contributor on your team without someone having to hold their hand 24-7. Um, the second is building confidence, so making sure that the junior engineer believes in themselves. And then the third is developing trust, which is really like making sure the junior engineer believes you and trusts you and the team to kind of have their back. And the three steps I identify to achieve these goals are first, to set expectations, second, to deliver feedback, and third, to assess performance. In the first step, which is setting expectations, um, it's really important to, as I alluded to earlier, set your own expectations around the performance of the junior engineer before they even arrive at their job. Um, and so it's important to take another look at their resume and say, what do I expect them to know? And what do I expect them to have to learn in order to be successful at this job? And once you've done that, it's also important to talk to your team and figure out who is going to take the time to teach them the things they need to learn in order for them to be successful. Um, because one big mistake would be identifying that a junior engineer needs to learn something in order to do a good job and then never making a plan to make sure they learn those skills. Uh, Cause that's, you know, basically ensuring that they're going to fail. 
Well, you raise a really good point right there because I've seen the situation where a junior developer is brought onto a team with no plans of any of the senior engineers actually allocating time to spending time with that junior and to the point where the senior engineers are completely full on tickets and it never occurred to anyone on what tickets that junior engineer could shadow on and things like that. So I agree there has to be a plan before that junior engineer arrives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of scenario also hurts the senior engineers because uh, taking the time to onboard a junior engineer is a lot of work. And it's something that the whole team should be aware of. They should know that you're doing it and it should count towards your performance. And so when you don't have a plan and you're not keeping track of who is doing the hard work of bringing the junior engineer up to speed and mentoring them, those people aren't getting credit either. Sure, so the second step is delivering feedback. Um, And once again, I think this step kind of starts earlier than than the junior engineer being at your company. You have to start by kind of normalizing feedback on your whole team, because if your senior engineers refuse to take feedback from you, they're modeling the behavior for the junior engineer. So you can't expect the junior engineer to take your feedback if your senior engineers don't. Um, Then obviously you have to start giving feedback to the junior engineer, both negative and positive. And in my talk, I identify a few steps in order to do that. Um, The first is being specific. And I think this is what you and I were talking about earlier, where you have to specifically say what they did or did not do that is causing you to give this feedback. Um, So in my talk, I give an example where a junior engineer pushes directly to master instead of creating a pull request, and you have to sit down and have a talk with them about why this is not the right thing to do. Um, And it's really important that you start out by saying, I noticed that you pushed directly to master instead of creating a pull request, and that's not the right thing to do, rather than being cagey about it or uh, not not being specific and giving them a chance to wonder, like, what did I do to deserve this? Um, the next few steps are focusing, focusing on the impact of their actions. So like, how does this impact the team or the code rather than just saying you are bad for doing this because that can also be very hurtful. Next, it's important to ask questions about why they did what they did to understand where they're coming from and understand what might make another junior engineer in the future behave the same way. Then it's important to redefine your expectations. Um, And so say, in the future, this is how I expect you to behave. And finally, and I think this is a step that a lot of people miss, it's important to give the junior engineer a chance to fix the problem themselves. And uh, one example of not doing this is like, if the junior engineer pushes to master instead of uh, making a pull request, you go in and you see all the mistakes they made in their code and then you make a pull request and fix it. I think we've all had moments in our career where we messed up really badly and we spent a long time fixing the problem and we've learned so much from that experience. And so by fixing a problem yourself and not including the junior engineer, you're denying them that chance of kind of completing the learning cycle. Um, And that's at the very end of giving them all that feedback. That's like the worst way to finish it off. 
I think that is such a smart idea because by them fixing it themselves, it almost creates their own internal wiki that they can then refer to. It's going to be a lot harder for them to look up the senior engineer's work who might have been there for years, but it's going to be pretty easy for them to be able to go back to their first pull request that they opened at the company to be able to reference what was the right thing to do. Yeah, and I think even without uh, physical wikis like our GitHub history, we keep mental wikis of all the mistakes that we've made. Um, and when we you know, go through the mechanics of fixing it ourselves, we notice certain things like, oh, I'm trying to do it this way, but it doesn't quite work that way because of this reason. So I'm not gonna try to do it that way anymore. And then in the future, you don't waste that same time because you, know, you already tried to do it a certain way and you knew it didn't work. Whereas if the senior engineer did it, it's denying the junior engineer an opportunity to develop uh, that, that mental model of how things should work. So if companies follow the steps correctly and they onboard their juniors correctly, what kind of benefits can these teams expect to see? Um, <laughs> many, <laughs> uh, but I think there are two main benefits. One that's more obvious and one that's less obvious. The first one that I think is pretty obvious is that onboarding junior engineers correctly is basically gives them a ramp that launches them into more uh, responsibility and leadership. Because you take away all the obstacles for them learning what they need to know, and then you correct their behavior and encourage them when they need it, they are going to learn a lot quicker, they're going to feel a lot more confident, they're going to trust you a lot more. And then before you know it, they're going to become a senior contributor on your team. And your team's going to be that much more productive. Um, and the quality of your work is going to be that much higher. So I think the first benefit is fast tracking junior engineers to mid level or senior status and really strengthening your team. The second benefit, which is less obvious, is that I think Properly onboarding junior engineers is one way to improve the diversity of your team. Um, I think a lot of teams uh, have a hard time hiring more senior engineers from diverse groups such as women, uh, people of color, and other minorities. And so they say, okay, we're going to hire some junior engineers from those groups and we're going to treat them really well and we're going to train them and they're going to become our senior engineers. But the thing is, if you don't clearly set expectations and then give feedback and then, you know, perform, perform fair performance reviews and actually reward the junior engineers for their work, then you are basically hiring um, diverse candidates and then ensuring that they fail at their first technical role, uh, which is a surefire way to destroy the diversity on your team. And so it's in order to have teammates from all sorts of backgrounds with all sorts of context and knowledge levels, it's really important that you create a shared set of expectations and then help people who are struggling and then reward people equally. And while this talk is not strictly about diversity, I think it has huge diversity benefits. 
I could not agree with you more. I think that the junior engineer community, even if you've outgrown, quote unquote, being a junior engineer, I think that junior engineer community is still very tight. And just even from the top of the episode of you speaking so positively of your time at Code Academy, you have become an advocate for them. And so that first role is a big deal. And it's something that I will always personally uh, look fondly back on. So I couldn't agree with you more. So I'd love to ask you about one of your side projects, Free From. Can you tell me what its mission is and how you got involved? Free From is a nonprofit organization that helps victims of domestic or gender-based violence achieve healing through uh, financial independence. And I got involved with them uh, because I am a volunteer for an organization called Ragtag, which essentially matches tech workers with volunteer opportunities. And so through Ragtag, I was put on a project helping Freefrom develop their newest tool, which is called the Compensation Compass. And the Compensation Compass is basically a personality quiz, uh, but it has way more important implications where you um, say what state you live in, if you live in the United States, and then give some information about yourself, such as, how much time you have, whether you have the resources to hire a lawyer, things like that. And then it will tell you how to achieve uh, financial compensation for any harm that you've experienced because of domestic or gender-based violence. Wow, so how did you get involved with Ragtag? Um, Honestly, I was looking for volunteer opportunities kind of relating to um, civics and political work and a f- you know a friend of a friend of a friend kind of pointed me in their direction and said you know give it a try and see what you think and I became really involved in the community especially around this free from project um, and had a great experience working with the other volunteers and kind of expanding my network in tech as well. So with a lot of developers perhaps having reduced work or looking for ways to volunteer during this pandemic, would you recommend Ragtag as a source for these developers? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Currently, with all the elections going on and with the coronavirus pandemic, there's a lot of work to do around, for example, uh, connecting healthcare workers to protective personal equipment. And Ragtag is kind of at the center of working on those projects. So if you're interested, I would definitely recommend um, checking it out because there are opportunities for developers, designers, uh, project managers, all sorts of uh, tech folks. That's so great. I'll definitely link that up in the show notes and I'm going to be personally looking myself. Now, as we ask all of our guests, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? I think uh, Ruby and Ruby on Rails have a really bright future. And I believe that because my, my fundamental belief is that coding languages are tools and tools are good for specific uses. And so I think a lot of people say, well, you know, Ruby isn't very performant and there are a lot faster languages coming out nowadays, which is definitely true. Um, but that just means that Ruby isn't perhaps a good tool for some specific use cases, but it is actually a great tool for a lot of other use cases. Going back to uh, the Free From project, 
I had to create a content management system, a CMS, for all of the complicated legal content in the compensation compass. And I was like, oh, this is probably going to take me, you know, two weeks with um, authentication and building the whole CMS. But I used two gems, uh, Devise and ThoughtBot's um, Administrate gem, to create the CMS. And it took me one hour. (laughs) And uh, that shows the power of a really mature coding language and a language that has mature frameworks built around it. Because... Uh, those gems already handled all of the use cases I need, and they already worked out of the box. And I would not have been able to achieve that with a newer language with less mature frameworks. That's such a good story. So Emily, how can listeners follow you? Um, you can primarily follow me on Twitter. My username is Emily Gerleo, last name spelled G-I-U-R-L-E-O. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. We're very much looking forward to your RailsConf Cal soon, and I hope you stay safe. Thank you so much. Stay safe, and uh, I had a really great time being on the podcast.